It's winter, and getting outside might require a little more bundling up and planning than usual. But for those who can learn to embrace the cold, like Polar Explorer and Bancroft, winter can be a magical time of year to go adventuring. I feel my energy rise when it snows, when it's when it's cold and crisp, um, and I don't exactly know why, but there's something about those cold places that is utterly exhilarating. Anne has never shied away from the cold. In 1986, she was the first woman to ski to the North Pole. Anne went on to lead many more groundbreaking expeditions, and in 1995, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production brought to you by Capital One. Anne wanted to be an explorer ever since she was a kid. By the time she was in her 20s, she had made voyages to Denali and the northernmost parts of Canada. At home in Minnesota, Anne worked as a teacher, and she had a side job at a local outdoor store. One evening, while Anne was working the register at the store, a polar explorer named Will Steger walked in. Will was pretty well known in the outdoor community in the 1980s. He'd completed the longest recorded Arctic crossing, and he was about to set out on another expedition to the North Pole. How do you get to like interview for a position on the North Pole? Like, where do you hear about it? How does it come to you? And this is the Will Steger International North Pole Expedition in 1986. Well, I was I was moonlighting at an outdoor store while I was teaching, so I worked nights just to stay close to gear and other climbers and um, things like that, and. Will came in the store. He walks in. He's gonna. He wants to trade a slideshow for some carabiners. <laughs> and I knew who he was. And you know, I knew the trip was being was percolating because it would make the papers every once in a while. But it wasn't national or anything. And it was just word of mouth that I heard that they had decided to go from six people to eight people because the ice was so rough. And that meant that they needed more food and fuel, which meant, oddly, that they were going to have to add one more sled. And that started getting them thinking. And the co-leader of the expedition said, uh, well, this is the 80s. Maybe we should take a woman, and that might help our fundraising. (laughs) I always tease these guys because it's like, well, that wasn't a very elegant door opening, you know, for the first woman. But I I went diving through that window like nobody's business because I knew it was an opportunity. But the thing that was amazing about that time in my life is I'm pretty young and I've done a lot of expeditions, but nothing on the on any sort of public scale. And I I was sure that I wouldn't qualify for the team. And there were probably a dozen women that interviewed. But you know, it was like something inside of me said, if you don't try, you'll never forgive yourself because this is your childhood dream. So I interviewed and then of course I get on and um, my world changes. Do you know why they picked you? <laughs> um, I think I got on the trip in part I was just with Will. I should have asked him point blank. My climbing partner on Denali in 83, we had a couple of mishaps, and he got hypothermia at the summit, 
and it was kind of an epic uh, descent. And I think I interviewed with Will for three days in Ely, Minnesota, up at, up at his cabin, very remote. Um, I remember we had this guy in common, and he had dog sledded with my climbing partner when he was a young guy. And I think Will called him and sort of said, what is she like when the chips is down? And humor is really important. And Tim said, you know, <laughs> she's, you know, she's a goofball. I don't know what he said, but he somehow expressed, you know, even during the hardships, we had fun. When Anne was chosen to be part of the team, she was pretty surprised. She had experience in extreme situations, but she had never mushed or used sled dogs before. As soon as she got word that she was going to the North Pole, Anne started training. It took the team over two years to prepare. The group was set to start in Northwest Canada and travel a thousand miles to the North Pole. They would ski through frigid temperatures, like minus 70 degrees, completely unsupported. What was the goal of the expedition? The goal was really, you know, just to see if we could travel strictly without any outside assistance by dog team. You know, we were wearing a mix of the old world. We had sealskin pants with our Gore-Tex jacket, Um, you know, so it was just really an interesting merging of the old and the new. But we were traveling traditionally and... That really intrigued people, I think, that the human spirit was being demonstrated in that way. And in 1986, you didn't hear about anybody going to the North Pole, any, you know, since the early explorers. It was, there were just one and a few, and there was very little way to, to get that out into the rest of the world. We could barely get a radio message out. So it was an adventure that really grabbed people. And we all were just curious, you know, if we could do it, if we had the muster and the, and the grit to do it. And so off we went. What a great time. What were some of the highlights, the stories that you love telling from this trip? Well, I like telling so many stories from this trip because it was transformative for me. But um, I mean, I started out on Ellesmere Island, the top of Canada, and there was just so much about that trip that I could tell stories about. Falling in the ocean was probably one of my epic moments when the ice gave way and I'm sitting there, you know, that's the one thing I I told the media when I left that I didn't want to have happen is get wet. And I was wet. And I'm hypothermic for three days. And I'm sleeping with my tent mates at this point. Those three days I realized just how isolated we are. That we could maybe get a plane in there at some point, but We're on our own. And that's when I felt like I was an early explorer. Out in the Arctic, Anne realized that it is not a gray and blue world. Every color in the rainbow sparkled as the sun hit the ice crystals. Despite the beauty and memorable moments, the trip was also challenging. Anne is relatively small in stature, and there was a lot of pressure for her to prove herself and her strength to her male teammates. Sometimes that was difficult and lonely, but Anne used her sense of humor to get through. One of her mottos is, don't take yourself too seriously. 
with that positive attitude and her incredible drive, Anne was able to push through to the finish line. After 56 days, the team made history, becoming the first known expedition to trek to the North Pole totally unsupported. Anne's pioneering record as the first woman to the top of the world put her in the spotlight. What happened after this expedition? After the expedition, I came home totally ill-equipped for what I was to meet. And what I met on that tarmac at the airport was thousands of people, the governor, you know, all of this hoopla. It, it was intimidating. I I'm, was I'm super shy. I didn't understand just the excitement of this first woman thing to the top of the world. I mean, it was one thing for the eight or the six of us that got to the top of the world by dog team. Um, But then this first woman thing just exploded. And so I was really, I have to be honest, for about two years, I was unmoored. I felt very undeserving of the attention. Now they call it the imposter syndrome, but I wondered why, why me? I felt like you could have done it, you know, if you wanted to. You know, there's a lot of amazing women. And it just took me a long, long time to get comfortable with all the hoopla. And the hoopla just kept coming. And when we got back in early May of 86, my school was still in session. And so I took a retiring husky and we went off to this little K through 8 school and I spent the day there and they read their poetry about the Arctic to me. They talked about their math lessons. They understood the currents of the Arctic Ocean and why we could go 10 miles north by dog team. And then as we slept, we would get 10 miles south and then we would get a zero someday. The eighth graders started to understand that because the teacher incorporated that into math. You know, geography, math, science, literature, music. They were singing songs about the Arctic. They were writing Inuit kids in the higher parts of Canada as pen pals. The school was alive with my journey. I'm getting goosebumps now. My colleagues showed me inadvertently that I could be a teacher outside of the four walls of the classroom. That helped me settle over those next two years of being lost and wondering what to do. And I thought, if ever I do another large expedition, I I can't just go for my own ambition like I did in 86. I've got to do something bigger. As soon as I started incorporating education into my expeditions, boy, I just like calmed down and I, 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 I became, you know, I found home, I guess is the best way to say it. Since returning from the Arctic in the 1980s, Anne has become a world-renowned explorer, but she really identifies more as an educator. As her outdoor career continued to grow, Anne wrote grants that allowed her to incorporate education into all of her expeditions. When we come back, she talks about how she's woven these two passions together over the course of her career. Good news! The REI Co-op MasterCard turns everyday spending into limitless possibilities by offering benefits and rewards that support your love of the outdoors. 
The REI Co-op MasterCard is just available to members, taking your membership even further by offering 5% rewards on every purchase at REI, on top of your typical 10% Co-op member rewards on full price purchases. And there's a bonus. This card also includes a 1.5% reward on purchases anywhere MasterCard is accepted. Not only does the REI Co-op MasterCard benefit you as a Co-op member, but it also gives back to the community by donating $2 million annually to the REI Cooperative Action Fund. Visit REI.com slash MasterCard dash podcast to learn more about these benefits and to apply. That's REI.com slash MasterCard dash podcast. Terms apply. After Anne Bancroft's 1986 expedition to the North Pole, her life completely changed. Anne became a pioneer for women in the outdoor industry, and the media loved her. By 1991, Anne started organizing all-women's expeditions. In 1993, she led the first all-women's team to the South Pole, making history yet again. The expedition was over 600 miles long and lasted 67 days. How'd you come up with the idea to lead the first all-women's trip to the South Pole? After a couple of years, I got pretty frustrated. And I'm on the cusp of Title IX, so I, you know, I fought for that, and I love sport. And um, But I got frustrated with just the constant, just the remarks, you know, did you ever get together with those guys? And, you know, there were catty remarks and some serious. And so that's when I started to think, all woman. And then, of course, once I articulated that that's what I was going to do, and the crush of naysayers came in, it just, you know, I just dug in my heels. I had no corporate sponsors in 92 for our all women's trip. They're risk averse. They just wouldn't come forward. We went anyway, because fathers of daughters and kids believed in us and we went and you know the old-fashioned hard grassroots way and I don't want to repeat it but it taught me tons of things. What was it like to lead a all-women's expedition in 93? I think leading that all-women's trip was really in so many ways something I had never done before because I'd always traveled with men but It was like taking a deep breath. There was a different kind of proving that was going on, and it wasn't the same, and everybody was relaxed. I don't know, it was a really different atmosphere right out of the gates. I can't say that it was better. It was just so different, and that was exciting. It was also scary because all eyes were on us because it hadn't been done. And there were so many naysayers back in the early 90s, late 80s. I mean, when you said you were going to pull a 250-pound sled from sea level up to 14,000 feet, people just shake their head. And, you know, they don't have any experience in the outdoors, but they want to tell you you can't do it. And so you just, like my whole life, you just have to plow forward somehow and change people's attitudes by doing and that's what we kind of did. But it was it was fun. We had good time. I you know, I I will say though there was one time on the trip as a leader and there were four of us and you know nobody is 
ever, you're not all for shooting from all barrels. There's always somebody who's a little down or injured or something is going on. And so you're, it's a team. And so it's up and down, up and down. And at one point, I don't know what it was. It was just a culmination of so much, but I was so strong on that trip. And maybe it was because I was holding the whole vision, the education, the the project. There was something like another force, you know, charging me ahead. And I was so frustrated with my group one day. And I just was like, I just want you to stop, you know, processing and be more like the men. <laughs> and then I felt so embarrassed for thinking that and writing that in my journal. I never said it out loud, but oh, I'm like, that wasn't very feminist. <laughs> Since leading that groundbreaking trip in the early 90s, Anne has dedicated her career to empowering women and girls. She's worked with educators to create curriculum about subjects like water, peace and conflict resolution, team building, and going after dreams. For each new expedition, Anne and her team go into the archives to revise and republish relevant lesson plans. They've created an extensive library based on her 30 plus years of groundbreaking expeditions. In the early 2000s, Anne and her teammate were the first women to cross Antarctica using skis and sails. In 2015, she led a paddling trip down the Ganges River. Even now, as this episode goes live, Anne is preparing to journey through the waterways of New Zealand. I've interviewed so many adventurers and a lot of them come home after a big expedition and they're depressed. But I think if you have this reason for being after the expedition, you're teaching, you're sharing it with the world, I think that's it. Like, I think that's the cure to those post-adventure blues. I think that's part of the cure because uh, I don't think it fits for everybody. So I just, um, I'll mend that slightly. I think the other cure that I have learned, because it's taken a lot of trips uh, and a lot of coming homes, is... I now frame the expedition pre, during, and post. So I include the coming home part and all the obligations that one has for coming home. So if you have a sponsor, your job is not done. So the adventure part is done. And I think the thing that often unmoors a lot of us is we come home from this amazing experience. One, it's hard to translate that in words for people, but two, you've got demands on you and that you don't feel like doing those demands. So you have to build them into the overall plan. So then your expectation is managed to when the end is really there. And by then you're also processing and you're giving yourself space for that process and it's less depressing. I'm not as depressed when I come home. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm not depressed when I come home. I'm, I'm different. <laughs> I moved the expectation guardrail. I'm curious, like fear of failure and fear. Those are two things that keep a lot of people from pursuing their wild idea or going on an adventure or making a change that will propel their life positive, but scary. How do you approach 
failure and fear. Well, we've talked about humor, and I'm like, be that kid who who hops on the bike and, you know, burns her knees, you know? It's like, go for it. Um, because I think as adults, we get more and more cautious and less risky. We try less. So I want to keep that eight-year-old eight very much alive in me, and I want to keep my humor alive. Um, and then I would say... You know, I tell people all the time, get lost. You're going to get lost. It's not the end of the earth. I get lost on every one of my expeditions, at least for a day or a half a day or a moment, you know, my turn at the navigation, or I don't do the math right when I'm navigating at night and it's like wrong turn, you know, and all this white or something like that. It's like, that's when you use the humor and you laugh at yourself and you dust off and you, and you make it right. And um, I make sure that I always talk about my failures in the mix of my successes. So yes, I've been so lucky to see the top, the bottom of the world and points in between. But, you know, things don't go according to plan. And that's part and parcel to expeditions and to adventure and to life. Anne also started a nonprofit called the Anne Bancroft Foundation. The organization has done all sorts of incredible work, like helping girls build and launch an app, take driver's ed classes, and even see manatees for the very first time. Their goal is to help girls achieve their dreams and reach their full potential. If you're interested in learning more about Anne and her work, check out the Anne Bancroft Foundation website at www. Dot A-N-N-B-A-N-C-R-O-F-T foundation.com. Before we sign off, we want to leave you with a clip of a song written about Anne before her 1986 polar expedition. Every long journey is made of small steps, is made of the courage, the feeling you get. When you know it is waiting, been waiting for you. The journey's the only thing you want to do We cannot know what you go through or see through your eyes We will surround you the pride undisguised In any direction, whatever you view You're taking our love That song was written by an artist named Anne Reed. We'll put a link to her music in the show notes, but it's this song that inspired our producer, Sylvia Thomas, for recommending we interview Anne Bancroft for this show. And with Sylvia's childhood hero growing up in Minnesota, she remembers this song, she listened to it, and we're so glad we made it happen. Thank you so much to Sylvia. If you liked this interview with Anne Bancroft, check out our episode from 2020 with Chris Fagan, who broke a record when she skied across the South Pole with her husband. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, produced by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Pierce-Nitzberg of Puddle Creative. Our senior producers are Jenny Barber and Hannah Boyd. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow the show. Take time to write a review wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. It is the only thing you want.
not known what you go through or see through your eyes But we will surround you, the pride undisguised In any direction, whatever you view You're taking our love, taking our love Taking our love there with you 